Listening to Digital Now, an original business and technology podcast by Logic 2020. I'm your host, Matt Treville. Each episode, I'll be interviewing a new expert to learn more about industry trends, fascinating new tech, shifting customer expectations, and the steps every business can take to stay ahead. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. Today's a very exciting one. We're talking about enabling business outcomes through the use of tools with focus on model sharing. And today my guest with me is Anna Emmett, who is a solutions architect at Logic 2020 and has been doing systems and business analysis since 2007. I know this firsthand, she is an enthusiastic, deep diving problem solver that is an expert on tools that connect technical and business folks. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Matt, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing really well. It is summer in Seattle. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and here we are doing our podcast. It's a good time to be in Seattle, that's for sure. Seattle probably has one of the best summers, I'd say, like around the US. Yes, I really enjoy the mild climate it has throughout the year, but let's not tell anyone that it's not raining all the time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's what what everyone thinks. But uh, before we start, here's a fun fact, Anna, just to make you embarrassed, okay? You're definitely one of my favorite people at Logic 2020. So how do you like that one? I like that and I really appreciate all the baby sharing that you do <laughs> in our video yeah. calls. Yeah. yeah, just for everyone listening, anytime I'm on a meeting with Anna, she has to see at least one of my children. So um, she's been to more meetings than, than a lot of people. They're very adorable. <laughs> well, thank you. But anyway, how about we get straight into it? You ready for this? Yeah, let's do this. Okay, so on many of your projects, you are working as a product manager and systems analyst, lead, I should say, um, which means one of your goals is to enable business outcomes through the use of tools, as we alluded to at the start of the, at the show. What are some of the major pain points and questions you're seeing out there at the moment? Uh, there, are, there are a number of those, Matt. Uh, one of the main issues that I see, well, there are two big ones. One is a disconnect between people who are preparing the tools for being used by the end business users and the expectations of the business users and the processes that they're using. It actually kind of segues into the second pain point where a lot of projects go lightly on change management or skip it altogether because it it appears to be an unimportant investment of time and effort. But uh, even if you have the best tools that you design and deliver, if the people are not prepared to use it, it's it becomes a waste and it becomes, you know, it, it becomes a pitfall for your processes. Um, so on the disconnect between the technical users and the business users, some of the things we see in the field are things like um, data scientists can design the most beautiful models to do forecasting or data analysis or um, you know, intent detection or clustering, but then if the users are not well equipped to run those models, it becomes a barrier to entry for them to use them. So that's just to give you one example. So if I can try and throw an analogy at this, it's like buying a very expensive coffee maker and then going to Starbucks every day? Yes. If you if you don't bother to use the instruction manual and... Uh, <laughs> 
descale your machine every six months, uh, <laughs> yeah. you will not get the outcome that you desire out of this coffee maker. Okay, cool. Oh, it makes a lot of sense, right? You need the adoption, you need people to use it. Otherwise, it's just a waste of investment on your end. Yes. And you definitely need the um, high level project sponsors and stakeholders to lead the charge with being excited about the product that you're delivering and um, transferring this excitement to the people who will actually be using it in the field. Yeah, which is where the change management comes into play, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So question number two here. So what are some of the tools out there that might fall into this category if not implemented correctly? So um, data science models is one. Uh, any kind of AI things, they're very black boxy to the users. So there's this inherent distrust to some of those things because you cannot really explain the outcome. So you have to trust that the model was built correctly. Mm -hmm. And um, I read an article recently that basically said over 60% of managers cannot explain why the models give them the data and the insights <laughs> that they give them because, well, because, you know, it's an algorithm, it's a black box. You cannot just go and say, oh, it's rule based or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of them. And then um, really any kind of any kind of automation, if it's not well um, transferred to the business users and incorporated well into their processes, it's this disconnect between a great thing and the inability or not being prepared to use it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's so simple when you think about it, right? It's these tools are meant to be enabling business outcomes. So if they're not doing that, what if for whatever reason, huge waste. But it, it's interesting that those fall into that category given it's, it's based around trust. Yes, yes. This is why usually you have teams of data scientists who are working on models that are, you know, one builds it, one reviews it, gets, gives some feedback. So similar to traditional development process, you would want to have some collaboration there to make sure you're using all the best practices and mm -hmm. the model is doing what you're expecting it to be doing, even if the, if the outcome is not um, always aligned with what the stakeholder expects to see. Yeah. You know, a lot, of, a lot of, sorry, um, I was going to say a lot of the times the stakeholders have a mental picture of what the outcome will be once the model runs. And uh, because of the aggregation and high level that they do in their head, uh, it might not be the outcome that the model delivers. So it comes with some trust and um, understanding that um, it relies on data and um, it might generate an outcome that doesn't align with what you were expecting. Yeah. Okay. Question number three. Now we were speaking about this earlier, right? And this is a project that we worked on together. Um, not that I know what happened, the technical side of it, but I was involved. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so uh, the model sharing framework, could you tell me more about what this technology is and, and how it came to be? And finally, I might learn. Oh, absolutely, Matt. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you have an idea and let's talk yeah. about it. So uh, this is a project that spanned several years that I was the project manager on. And the main business challenge there was that uh, there was a team of analysts who were working on generating insights for their sales team. And um, they were working with data scientists and some of them were technically advanced and made their own models. And to generate those insights, they would run those models locally on their computers or they would reach out to the model creators and ask them to run them for them. And um, 
the issue that came with this was that those uh, people who were running the models were not necessarily equipped with the skills to run the model. So they had to learn a lot of things that didn't align with their main work, like how to deploy Python um, into their local machine, how to install dependencies, how to set system variables. And then they would rely on their computer's computational power to execute those models. And once it's running, you have to be there for it to finish correctly. And um, it's hard to share it with other people that you're working with, um, the insights that you get from it. And it's also a little bit hard to keep track of what model version is the newest one, since people are just maintaining them in some file share. So, um, so it was a little tricky, and it created, you know, this cumbersome process where it wasn't easy for them to do. And so what our team was asked to do is to create a solution that would connect those two groups of users and make a level field for them where one group would be deploying the models into this web application that we designed. Mm -hmm. And the second group would be just running the models with their data from that application UI. So, um, so basically both of those groups had a common ground that we called the model sharing framework. And the way we structured it was we created a template file for model deployment where the model creator would take their Python script or R script or Databricks script, and they would add some files describing the dependencies that the script would need and some user documentation and um, instructions for the running. And they would put it into a zip file and upload it into our tool. And as soon as the file is uploaded, it gets parsed by our backend and it becomes one of the models available to the users. So the user at this point, all they have to do after the model is approved for general usage is they log into the tool, they select this model that they want to run and they give it the data that they want it to run with. So they don't have to install anything. They don't have to run it locally anymore. It's all in the Azure cloud. And it becomes really easy for them to kind of keep track of the models that have been run with what data set they have been run, what insights were generated, what their peers were doing. And also it enabled um, very robust versioning of the models. So once the model creator decided to make a new version of that same model, they would archive the previous version and deploy the current version. And so when you select it, you just know that it's the most current one. So it became very easy to just do this kind of version management, version control, and keep track of what models are being used and um, could be further improved upon and such things. So it sounds, I mean, it sounds like on, you know, my end, right, I'm not a technical person. I could come in and just use this tool and get the benefits from all the work done on the back end, and it's going to produce the data that I need. And you basically eliminated the need for, to learn data science and, and all the things that go into it. Right, right. So what you would need to do is you would first pinpoint which model you need to use, and then you can mm -hmm. download an input template. So you would have an understanding of what the input file would need to look like. And then you just get data that matches that input template from sources you are authorized to access, and you bring it into the tool. And we are even working on some backend integrations to connect directly to those data sources now. So, I mean, so yes, it would be very 
very straightforward for you to use, even if you don't have any previous Python or R knowledge. That sounds pretty cool to me. Now, can you can you sort of call out within um, the model sharing framework what makes it so awesome? Like, what are the particular things within it? Right. So we can kind of group it by the user role. So if you're a model creator, it gives you a robust way to share your models with the audience. Uh, it gives you versioning options, and it's an easy deployment interface. So once you know how to uh, put your model in, you can do it many, many times. And it has the model template that you can use to make it even easier for you. And then on the consumer part, uh, it becomes very easy to locate the list of models that are currently active. You can, um, you know, you can run models as much as you want in the cloud with the cloud computing capacities. You don't have to sit and wait for it to finish. You can just come back later and see if it finished. And your peers see what you have been doing and they can look at your work and see what insights you got generated and you can do the same. And it just becomes very uh, streamlined and you know, a smooth user experience. That does sound awesome. Easy to use, streamlined, collaborative. I mean, it's it sounds really cool. Okay, so give us a real world example of us using um, this technology. Yeah, so um, one thing that uh, we've been working on uh, in terms of deploying models into that tool was a multi-layered forecasting model. And you can read a little bit about that in a blog post that was published in the Logic blog by my colleague Ann Lifton. So that was one of the models that we created and deployed into there. And um, basically, we created a model that considers COVID um, third-party data to create forecasts for different industries of what the future could look like. And it considers IHME burden of disease and OECD unemployment forecast. So. Um, Basically, you could take your historic data for any any industry that you have and any metric that you have the data for and run it with this model and get COVID-informed forecasts. And you could you could generate a huge amount of uh, visuals to go with it. So this model, it takes your data and it generates a forecast in a CSV shape, but it also outputs some plots. and uh, this tool is so robust that it can output thousands of plots at a time. So that was that was pretty fun. Yeah. And one one other thing I was going to say, sorry, Matt, is that um, this tool is agnostic to what kind of model you are trying to deploy, as long mm -hmm. as it's in the languages that we support and you have the uh, packages that are offered by the tool, and we can always add more. Um, it should run. So it can be anything from forecasting to trend detection to clustering to really pretty much anything else that you can just write a script for in our Python or have a Databricks notebook run it. I guess and also like, you know, during COVID and the, the ambiguity around that whole, you know, still now, right? The being able to have some pretty accurate forecasting sounds like a huge positive to the to the stakeholder and the business that must have been incredibly valuable to the client right right it was this big period of covid ambiguity where you didn't know what was happening and your previous forecasting model um, suddenly encountered an anomaly in the beginning of 2020 and so our model outputs not just the covid informed 
um, forecast, but it also outputs a non-COVID-informed forecast, like what it would have been if there was no COVID. So uh, we give the users the ability to compare it a little bit in terms of what it could have been like and what it came out to be. But one of the things that comes with this uncertainty is that we can only output a forecast for several months out, so we can't go very far out mm -hmm. because of this anomaly. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, how did this impact the overall processes that are associated with using the models um, that they have? So um, from my point of view, it really kind of aligned um, the, the model governance. So all the models that people are expected to use are now in the tool and they're working on designing more models and putting them in there. So it becomes one single point of truth for finding the models that are available to you and one big, you know, common library of models. So uh, so it really took out this, I'm going to look for this model in the file share, and I'm not exactly sure which version is the current one, or maybe I'm looking for it in a Teams message. So, um, so it becomes, you know, really, really straightforward in terms of just, I know what problem I'm trying to solve. I know what models are available to me. I know which data they need because of the documentation associated with the model. I know what the input looks like. So there was a little bit of also um, kind of setting expectations about what kind of documentation comes around the model so you can use it. And so we would have the standard, you know, document that you can download through the UI that tells you this is what the inputs need to look like. This is what the model does. And this is what you expect to get as an output. So. So it just, you know, it becomes one big robust library of things and um, transparent results sharing across peers. Awesome. So I want to just touch upon, and I, we've only got a few minutes left, I know, but I just want to touch upon, um, you know, given that you're a technical product manager and a solutions architect, you, you sort of see behind both curtains, right? The business side plus the technical side. In your opinion, what would you say is the most how do you get the buy-in from the business side? Because at the end of the day, that's most important, right? Is that the, the outcomes are being met, stakeholders are happy, and that people are using the tools. Is there something you can pinpoint that is the most successful in, in that adoption? Yes, so I think one, well, again, there are several things there in my opinion. So one of them is you really have to dig deep to understand the underlying problem that the client has. Mm -hmm. So, so you go and you investigate and you try to pinpoint what are some maybe quick wins, what are the less quick wins, what you can do here and there. And then you kind of decide on this roadmap with the client and then uh, you just need to be careful to manage the scope and expectations shifting during the project. So, um, so the things you initially agreed upon can still be delivered. Because, you know, as you go, you might discover new things that you might want to do, and then it comes with trade-offs, and it comes with new expectation setting. So, um, so in my experience, if, if the client sees that you are really trying to understand where they're coming from and trying to find what's best for them and how it would work, uh, you get this buy-in from your contact people working on the project, and then you work with them to kind of encourage spreading the word evangelizing and adoption across the teams that would be using it. Nice. I like that. 
All right, so uh, we are coming up on time here. So if you were to leave uh, the listeners here with one thing to think about, one bullet, what would that be? Um, I think I would say try to come at the problem with an open mind and um, understand the problem before you start solutioning. Because some people might may j- just jump straight to trying to find what works best. But you just need to make sure that you have a really good grasp on the problem space before you start doing it. And one thing that I try to do as the product owner and project manager is I try to not uh, insert my implementation opinion onto the development team. Mm. So I, I let them choose their path of implementation as long as we are all aligned on what the business wants to get out of it. Love it. Anna, this has been great. Thank you so much. It's always lovely to jump on a call with you and, and uh, appreciate you uh, doing the podcast. Yeah, thank you for your time, Matt. And next time, bring the babies. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's my fault. <laughs> All right, have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Logic 2020's podcast, Digital Now. To learn more, visit our website at logic2020.com or follow us on social media. See you next time.